Trish Wood is the host of Trish Wood is Critical, and she is an outstanding journalist. So I am delighted to have her as a guest here today. She's done everything from talk radio to um, the producer, the host of many acclaimed programs. A clear path forward requires looking back and learning. Good public policy requires human connection. It's a consideration of the facts, applying common sense and innovation. It's urban, it's rural, it's real life. We all have something to contribute. We all have a responsibility to get informed because there's a little piece of Canada in all of us, isn't there? Let's learn on this path together. This is Leaders on the Frontier. So welcome, Trish Wood. Hi, David. How are you? I'm doing great. And it's uh, really an honor to have you. I've admired you in terms of your your leadership and journalism over the years. So it's great to have you. Did you leave out the CBC bona fides just because people might come <laughs> off? Well, we're going to get to that. But uh, yes, um, I'm you've reformed. covered not only the okay. <laughs> but you've you've worked not only with the CBC, but uh, who have you all worked with, Trish? Uh, can you give us the overview so our audience realizes the the depth and breadth of your career? Sure. I I mean, I know that CBC is failing now in a really obvious way, and we should all be desperately worried about it. It's uh, heartbreaking for me as someone who had a long career there through many of their top places. I was in CBC radio during the heyday. I was a culture guest on Zosky. Imagine mm-hmm. that. Uh, a great man who I smoked cigarettes with in the studio. That's how long ago it was. Um, right. a- of course, I was at As It Happens, where I was a science and medical reporter. I was sent around the world. I covered the uh, the Exxon Valdez oil spill in Prince William Sound. I was at the Hanford nuclear plant, which is mentioned in the Oppenheimer movie as the mm-hmm. place where they were developing plutonium for the bomb and then had a terrible, terrible environmental disaster there for the people in the community. So that was, I covered Love Canal. I did a lot of wonderful stuff at CBC. As I always say, the caveat is back when working there actually, actually meant something. I've been at CTV and then I kind of circled back from there and ended up hosting the fifth estate for 10 years, which was uh, both the best and worst job I've ever had. And I was at the journal from the minute that they kind of hit the on switch on that. I was there before it actually went to air with Barbara Frum. Wow. Yeah. And Mary Lou Finley as hosts. I mean, imagine that. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And I learned a lot about interviewing from Barbara Frum, actually. She was a very mm-hmm. interesting person to to observe over the years. So so that's it. Then I took some time off to single parent uh, and learn about that. Um because I, I always felt when I was hard charging and traveling the world in and out of war zones and various other places that I wasn't being a very good parent. And I stand by that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I took some time off and then w- got into true crime and justice reporting, which I loved and was doing that until COVID happened. I just done a huge five part series for Amazon studios, $5 million budget, huge show, you know, wow. really kind of, okay, now your career's really launched. And then COVID hit and, um, and I had a decision to make. And the decision was based on, ironically, reporting I'd done at As It Happens, where I'd covered the AIDS crisis and Tony Fauci's handling of that. Uh, and so he, so his, yeah. his name was on your radar then, to be clear. Oh, 
even totally. back then. Yeah, I look. I left that the the AIDS reporting with very very limited respect for Tony Fauci. I was a dissident even then because he botched that terribly as he botched COVID. And mm-hmm. when I started seeing the kind of legacy media reporting around COVID, I thought we are in a lot of trouble. They don't even have the infection fatality rate correct. Like it's 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 exaggerated mm-hmm. by hundreds of times what it should be. Mm-hmm. They're basing public policy on it. And Tony Fauci is, I'll say it, you know, he's a narcissist and someone who shouldn't be anywhere near public health policy. So mm-hmm. I... I started a podcast. I didn't know what else to do. I had no platform anymore. Mm-hmm. I wasn't on and, social and when, media. And when was that, uh, Trish? When did you start? Uh, Trish Wood is critical. Uh, okay. So the world locked down in March of 2020, and I was up and running in May with the wow. pure mandate to do mostly COVID policy criticism. Mm-hmm. Right? I didn't even know what a podcast was. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I had no social media, like, literally none. Um, and mm-hmm. that's what I've been doing. I've turned down films in the interim because I just mm-hmm. feel now once you're wide awake and you see what's happened for what it is, our circumstances are so dire that mm-hmm. um, I would feel like I was literally betraying my country if I if I wasn't doing what I'm doing because so few wow. people are doing it, right? Well, so you, you you, to use the kind of ironic phrase, you woke up early and your eyes were open and you actually felt a, an obligation uh, to do something about it, to namely take an initiative like this podcast to do what? Well, I, for me personally, let me tell you this about investigative journalists, if you don't know. Most of us are a little, ha, have some kind of, of defect, right? Why else would we have this drive, <laughs> constant drive to get to the truth? You know, many mm-hmm. of us are recovering alcoholics, which I am 22 years. I'm proud of it. Wow. Talk about it. Um, so I, I, I could feel this veil of lies starting to be woven by legacy media. And I, I guess my, my first kind of opening my eyes to what was happening informationally was really 2016. I, I lived through the persecution of Donald Trump. I was a Bernie Sanders sub- supporter. Back, I was a oh, socialist, wow. totally. And I turned on a dime because, uh, well, first of all, I, I learned things about Bernie Sanders that were really disheartening. But mm-hmm. I saw a lot of people in that milieu, namely working people. The, 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 those are the people I care about the most and who journalists mm-hmm. should care about the most are working people who have no voice, right? So they were encouraged to go from Bernie to Hillary, who is a nightmare, terrible, the worst secretary of state ever. Maybe Madeleine Albright was worse, but not by much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw Bernie's perfidy and dishonesty about what he was doing. I hated Hillary Clinton. And I thought, wow, Donald Trump, he's a weirdo. As a woman, eh, you know, I wish he wasn't that way. He's kind of crude. Mm-hmm. Um, probably fun to have a beer with, you know, but... but mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, there were things about him. I'm sure every you probably felt that way too. But, but what I liked about him was he was anti-war and clearly anti-war, which mm-hmm. I knew because I'd written a book about the Iraq War, so I'd been following his stance on it. And he was absolutely true blue. Um, he seemed to care about working people, and he wasn't afraid to take on the neocons and Washington. So I thought, well, I can live with a crude guy who's doing. A, 
quite moral things in his policy, right? So, so mm -hmm. that happened. I watched the meltdown after Hillary lost, which was hilarious. That really did it for me. I crossed the the aisle to whatever I am now, libertarian something or other. Um, I'm not sure there's a name for it. There's lots of us like this, but. And then I watched the legacy media and the Democratic Party persecute Trump from day one with the Russia hoax, the fake impeachments, the mm -hmm. talk about how, oh, he's insane. He's going to nuke the world. And and they're just they're, they weren't the media wasn't even trying mm -hmm. to hide the fact that they wanted him out, that they were running an op on him and on the American people and on the world, in fact. Mm -hmm. So. So I'd been schooled through that, and then and then uh, COVID happened. There was the Fauci factor. Fauci was totally all in with the Democrats too on 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 COVID, which was a hugely political issue. And mm -hmm. I thought I, I can't I cannot watch the failure of COVID policy destroy people and ruin people. And I, I realized in that moment that my idea of legacy media was not what it was when I was working in it. It was over. Wow. It was finished. It was finished, right? And and I think what really did it was the Hunter Biden laptop hiding of that too mm -hmm. in 20. Yeah. That was just like the end for me. So right. so that's what I I couldn't go back and the only way forward for me was to I made that joke about investigative reporters not you know, being completely normal. And for me, I don't deal well with lies. I, I get agitated and anxious around dishonesty. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I couldn't go back because all of the institutions in our world right now are lying to us about one thing or another. I mean, name one where they're telling the truth to us. I wow. can't, right? And so that's that's a really long story about how I ended up doing the podcast, but that's that's what happened. But but it's a it's a very powerful summary of where you're coming from because you have this incredible history as a an investigative journalist you were you were uh, at the top and in many respects within certainly canadian journalism you see the international scene how this is all interrelated yeah so it's been quite a revelation the last few years i mean that that's it's quite a quite an astounding story. Well, it is. And you know what the worst part for me is that there are people still at the fifth estate, one guy in particular who was at my wedding a few years ago, who I love, mm -hmm. who seems to be part of this captured milieu, right? So I could mm -hmm. not, if, if CBC went insane and they all dropped acid and said, let's hire Trish back to host the fifth estate again, which would never happen. Um, I, mm -hmm. I couldn't go because I would be surrounded by total cognitive dissonance, right? People with whom I share not really a single worldview, except maybe, you know, killing is bad and we should be nice to mm -hmm. right? We all should probably share that. But everything else, yeah. you know, trans ideology, mm -hmm. lockdowns, vaccine mandates, all of it, I, I'm completely on the other side. And so mm -hmm. that was not just that I'm now living in a different world politically and ideologically, but I mm -hmm. no longer belong to the tribe that defined me as a journalist for 30 years of my wow. life, right? That's just gone. And so that's also been very, very difficult. And I'm still kind of walking around mad about it. I have to do mm -hmm. things. You know, I watch YouTube videos about how to like not be mad about things because as we know, um, you know, carrying around that kind of feeling is toxic, but mm -hmm. to me even, but, but I can't believe 
what's happened in the last, especially the last three years with the media completely absolving themselves of any responsibility for wow. truth telling during COVID for, you know, they just didn't think they had to tell the truth about anything at all. So if we like, we're going to cover a lot of ground here, but if you look at it from, I'm asking you as, as uh, one of these uh, great established journalists, what makes for a good journalist? Well, for well, there's a couple kinds. I, I was a daily beat reporter, um, mm -hmm. which I excelled at because I'm an investigative journalist at heart. And mm -hmm. I always stayed later than everybody. I, I got a big scoop with uh, Stephen Trescott. Before, he was hide, been hiding for years. And, oh, yes. Right. Right. And I... I and, and can you remind everybody who Stephen Trescott was? Well, yeah. he. I think, oh, I forget the year, in the 50s, I think, or maybe the 60s, mm -hmm. he was wrongfully accused of killing... He was a kid. He was 14. And he was wrongfully accused of killing a little girl in his neighborhood named Lynn Harper. And it really, mm -hmm. the evidence was ridiculous. But he did time. Yeah. And then he got out and he um, uh, went, he was living under an assumed name in a town in Ontario. So that's like, mm -hmm. for someone like me, that's like, okay, I'm going to find this guy. Um, and his, he'd written a book or his wife had Marlene, who I met on her book tour. And um, she and I liked each other. Um, I think she liked the amount of work I put into the story. And so... Mm -hmm. I asked, uh -huh. asked Stephen if we could talk, and he eventually said yes. And I found myself on a bus, leaving from the bus terminal in Toronto, going up to this small town where I did a radio interview with him. The only wow. one, I think, ever. Um, yeah. And brought it back, and it was a huge scoop, and everybody wrote about it. You know, and, and Trish, to be honest, I do remember that. Do you? <laughs> um, well, because I remember reading about that story. I, I was very... Um, kind of mysterious about what what really happened in terms of that crime and i remember reading the the reader's digest version of yeah it. yes and so um like you know it captured a lot of the imagination of canadians wondering like what what really happened and there were these two young people involved really quite a tragedy and um so when when you did that story it was quite a revelation right in terms of that perspective yeah and um, man, justice really is so important in terms of our society and it, it impacts people. And that was a, a very powerful case. Well, he that's it's quite interesting because I did that story for CFTR News Radio in Toronto. Mm -hmm. Right. This is before yeah. I went to CBC. And then when I was at the Fifth Estate, um, I, I promised Marlene and Stephen, who I kept in touch with over the years, and then when I finally got the big job at Fifth Estate, I called and I said, I think it's time for Stephen really to step out of the shadows and see if if we can get the conviction overturned, right? Mm -hmm. And so I ended up leaving CBC before that story was done and they gave it to somebody else. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, and they did overturn the conviction, which was great, and he got some significant money for it, so I'm really really happy about that he's a decent mm -hmm. a decent decent bloke but it was yeah. it's like the ted bundy story which is what i did for amazon the five-part series that the stephen trescott story really defined this country for decades right and uh and 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 where is he and who is he and what name is he using and where is he hiding and that mm -hmm. sort of thing so it was great to get him to come out of the shadows finally and fight for himself more importantly for me i did a a piece for the fifth with a chap named um he was a he was wrongfully Clayton Johnson. He was wrongfully convicted of murdering his wife 
on really, really bad forensic evidence and uh, mm-hmm. a forensic pathology and, and review. She'd allegedly fallen down the stairs. That's what they originally said. And then a new police officer took it over and the case was reopened and they made a case that he was having an affair, which he wasn't. And, and so that was all about the uh, way one analyzed the skull fractures. She had two skull fractures, perfectly symmetrical, which says something, right? And whether or not there was actually blood spatter evidence in the basement. So without going on too long about it, we, we, we got him out. And, um, and he also got money, which was something, and he just died about four or five years ago, but he, he got out, he was in for five or six years and he ended up having a reasonably good life. But I, I will tell you that the justice system really can go terribly, terribly wrong. You asked me, what you know, what is it about reporters? And so I, I am at heart an investigative reporter. I, I just have mm-hmm. to always know what is really going on. And I don't assume mm-hmm. that institutions are always correct. And the right. media shouldn't. So hence the title of your podcast is Trish Wood is Critical. Yeah. Well, it, yes, critical thinking, right? Um, my kids might say their mom's a bit critical. You know, there's a whole mm-hmm. bunch of, it's just a good word. But also it's critical to listen to the show. So we had a whole bunch of stuff going on. We chose that name, yeah. Yeah. And we do, we do dive into really complex subjects and it's actually a perfect timing to do that right now because much of what's wrong is wrong because people are trapped in kind of postmodern woo-woo, right? They're, they're like, yes, of course men can be women and of course we should mutilate yeah. children. Then they feel better. I mean, just crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you do, a kind of a deep dive on just the facts and any of those assertions, of course, they're ludicrous, but we're not allowed to do that. Right. You, you mm-hmm. even investigating those things is now, and I know in the UK, if you questioned someone's pronouns or said them wrong, misgendered, I think is the phrase that they used to send the cops mm-hmm. to your house. I mean, it's bad. That's like ridiculous. Right. So sorry, can you repeat that? I, I'm not sure if people would, realize that that's actually been happening in the UK. Yeah. So one case in particular, I, I think it might have been Kelly J. Keene, the woman who was beaten up in New Zealand or almost beaten up, but it was that terrible scene. I interviewed her after that. She's really a great woman, but she misgendered somebody, I believe, in a tweet and the person sent the cops and the cops came to her house. And I think, I don't think this is hyperbole. I do believe she went to the police station. You, you can't, Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't. I can't remember that, but but it's it's an absurd situation where it's funny you refer to it as this postmodern hoo hoo. You called it woo woo um, woo 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 woo. <laughs> Pardon me. Yeah. Where you know there's this. Um, we could talk about that for quite a while, but there's this um, putting aside of basic truths or such as biology, male and female. Yeah. For this assertion ideologically that you can assert your own biology your own gender which is just absurd so we, we've kind of become unhinged from what would you say reality yes and i i also think we've become unhinged from our humanity because at the root of these things and it is what is really the fire under the podcast and that is massive levels of cruelty that is justified by ideology that's where yeah. i just can't 
move away from. So if you look at what connects all these things, right? The COVID lockdown policies were absolutely inhumane and cruel. I mean, what mm-hmm. we're, we're telling our beautiful seniors, they, they must die alone. They, yeah, they, they horrible. I mean, what, what, in what society do, is that okay? And why did everybody go along with it? And why didn't the people in those nursing homes and the nurses in those hospitals who did the iPad goodbyes, why didn't they just refuse to do it? Mm-hmm. There was no scientific basis for, for what they were doing. So, and if you look at it, at the, the ideology around, um, around transgenderism too, it's also extremely cruel. The children mm-hmm. who are being harmed by this, many of whom would grow up just to be gay, right? So mm-hmm. talk about this idea that, that you are kind of reconfiguring them. If you ask them about it, you actually are reconfiguring them because mm-hmm. you're turning gay children, male gay children frequently, into women when they, that's not, they're not turning them into women, but you're turning them into cripples who believe they're women. Mm -hmm. But, but, but when they actually are just gay men, you see, so there's an element of cruelty around this. There's cruelty around the young women who just want to swim against other women. And they're being told, Oh, you've got to live with this guy wandering around your, your uh, change room with his junk hanging out. Right. I mean, all of these things, that's in the olden days, like five years ago, that was considered sexual assault, right? If you're waving your genitalia at someone who's not interested in looking at them, that is in the criminal code, sexual assault. But we can do it on Gay Pride Day in front of children. We can do it in women's lockers rooms. And if they complain about it, they're bad people who are transphobic. I mean, the point I'm trying to make, sorry, I get upset about this, is is the idea of the cruelty that underpins all of this mm-hmm. stuff, right? It's right. mean. It's mean. Yeah. Well, we've we've become so focused on an ideological outcome or agenda that we've lost, in many measures, our humanity, our, our care for each other and compassion. Um, and I think those are very powerful examples of it. I No, I just marvel at where we're at. Um, in some circles in our society, and I think there's lots of hope as well. But, um, you know, I just, I really grieve at, you know, the story that you tell about the legacy media. Um, certainly in Canada, like I I grew up um, on the CBC among, you know, all kinds of, of great uh, media uh, in Canada. But it's just no longer there anymore. And, you um, it, it's it's really absurd because we need a strong media for a healthy democracy, don't we? We need a strong media for any democracy. And I, I, I don't think we have a democracy right now. You cannot have a democracy when the politicians figured out, which they have, that no one's going to hold them accountable. They Look at what happened over there. I know we're kind of bouncing around, but I, I'm dealing with some stuff around the truckers right now. So it's probably a good time to make this point. Look at how legacy media carried water for Trudeau over the truckers. He sets a narrative. They're racist, they're homophobic, they're misogynistic, ironic for an organization led primarily by Tamara Leach, who happens to be a woman and Métis. Um, and, And the media picked up on that as if everything he said was true. And so once you do that to a populist kind of uprising that way, you you defang it, right? It has no, I mean, it actually did have a lot of power, but it gives the media a reason 
to not take it seriously. And that's what they did. I mean, look at what the CBC did to, to the truckers. They had one host who accused the truckers of being a Russian information officer. Yeah, utterly bizarre. Really? Yeah. I mean, is that, I mean, people like that should be mm-hmm. laughed out of the studio. Yeah. Why are they still even have a job, that person? It's ridiculous, right? Or the, the, you know, the infamous arson story that never was, that on its face Mm -hmm. was the most preposterous allegation against truckers of many preposterous allegations. Mm -hmm. And the media totally stowed their critical thinking faculties and broadcast it all over. And of course, the politicians picked it up because the media had given this great reason to smear the truckers, when the story itself was ridiculous, which is what, that a woman comes home to her apartment building. There's a couple of people there setting, I think they were barbecue bricks on fire. Mm -hmm. She Mm -hmm. says, who are you guys? And they say, oh, we're going to identify ourselves as truckers. We're truckers. Exactly. And then she's so terrified of the arson. She goes up to her apartment and doesn't even call the fire department or the police. She goes to bed. So Mm -hmm. none of that is is a credible story well and, and don't forget about the the uh the placement of the nazi flag the confederate flag um and all are you know wheeled out in a matter of minutes mm-hmm. and suddenly these images appear across legacy media i mean this is uh, it, it looked to me like a smear campaign absolutely and i think alexa lavoie at rebel news did a wonderful takedown of, mm-hmm. of that and just proved that very clearly that Nazi flag was some kind of a psyop on behalf of, I think on behalf of of Trudeau, actually, I'll just Mm -hmm. say it. I mean, somebody got something out of that, but what was interesting about the Nazi flag carrier, he didn't go anywhere near the truckers. And you know why he didn't? Because Tamara would have kicked his butt out of there. She doesn't even like the F Trudeau bumper stickers on the guy's truck. She Mm -hmm. gives them trouble about that stuff. She's a very temperate woman in many ways so of -hmm. course he didn't go over there because he wasn't welcome so who shows up with a nazi flag at a trucker event but doesn't engage with the truckers what is the point of that and oh Mm -hmm. there happens to be a camera way over at the chateau laurier where that guy was standing come on i mean yeah all all primed and ready to take the picture so i i look at the whole trucker convoy as really quite an astounding statement of the commitment of Canadian citizens who had had enough and who were really agitated by an absurd policy that was introduced to go after them without any medical evidence. And they came together. It was like an amazing tidal wave, wasn't it, uh, Trish, across the country. And it was a turning point, was it not, in in terms of citizen involvement that captured the imagination not only of Canadians, but the world? Uh, You know what? I almost feel like crying even talking about it now, because when you say that, I remember... I remember when it happened. Let me tell you what was happening with me. I I, I was really struggling mentally with, with this because mm-hmm. there did not seem to be, all, first of all, all these institutions that we're supposed to trust were failing and cooperating in a way that was absolutely toxic for, for the, the people. I knew the virus wasn't dangerous the way they said it was. It was for mm-hmm. a very specific group of people. I knew about the age stratification. I was following Johnny Anidis. I knew that they got the infection fatality rate totally wrong, 3.4. What are you talking about? Ridiculous. So I was sitting here surrounded and in Ontario where Doug Ford, a conservative, is following along as if he's some kind of a fangirl 
uh, Fauci and Burks and the rest of them. And, and the mm -hmm. courts were not do I thought, well, the courts are going to save us. You know, you, you go through the courts will save us. The media will save us. We'll have some demonstrations. They'll save us. Nothing left a mark. And, and the little demonstrations that were happening at Queens Park near where I live, and I would go to them on the weekends just to see what was up and that mm -hmm. didn't get any coverage in the legacy media. And when they did, oh, they were all, you know, homophobic, uh, uh, right, people. Mm -hmm. So I thought, wow, I, you know, right when the truckers emerged, I thought, I don't know how much longer I can do this, right? Like I, and I really was having dark thoughts, I will tell you, dark thoughts. Mm. Wow. which I, which I do not uh, recommend, but I, I was, cause I couldn't think my way out of it. I, there was nothing I, we could do that we were trapped. Right. Especially mm -hmm. here in Ontario. So then I heard about the truckers. I talked first to Chris Barber, I believe, who's a magnificent human being and he was mad. And he said something on the phone to me that mirrored exactly the way I was feeling. And I thought, okay, this is good. There are people out there who are feeling like I am and they're all kind of out West. Right. And a lot mm -hmm. of them are blue collar people, our lovely blue collar people came to the rescue mm -hmm. as they do. Usually we're not saved by the PhDs ever. Um, and I just saw Oppenheimer and that's really reinforced after seeing Oppenheimer, but but um, I, I had a feeling, okay, the cavalry's coming. You know, please send the toxic masculinity out here to sort this out because, <laughs> right, not that Kree is that, I'm joking, but but the, where are the men, you know, and, and their leader, right. Tamra, but where are the men is what, right? It's where yeah. are the men. And so I felt happier and better than I had since since it began. And then the gift for me was getting to know Tamara and Chris, who I had on the, I was doing coffee with the convoy and having mm -hmm. them on a lot as they drove out and seeing the people on the overpass. I mean, it was just so great. Like everybody of all different races, color, creeds, nuns, you know, I mean, just, it was just who we are, right? It was who we are. The last time I felt that patriotic was over the humble bus crash. Do you remember that? Yes, very well. And everybody's putting their hockey sticks out, like even here in downtown. I was like, oh, that's the greatest thing ever. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta support the memory of those boys. I don't love hockey, but hockey mm -hmm. boys on buses playing hockey in the prairies is who yeah. we are, right? So when that happened, I first of all, I was devastated that it happened, and then devastated at how bad the coverage was on CBC too. Like mm -hmm. they had people on there who knew nothing about that mm -hmm. as our thing right? How important that was to us. So, yeah. so, so, I mean, that humble was, was a tragedy and the truckers were optimism, but there, I did feel we were all connecting on some magnificent level again. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. Tamara and I really clicked. We like each other very much. And, and um, I believe that they conducted themselves in a magnificent way Um She's very clever. She's a, just an itty bitty little thing, you know, um, but she's powerful. And, and, and what the other thing that the, the truckers showed me as they were coming out and then as they kind of set up shop in Ottawa, that was after the summer of cities on fire in America over George mm -hmm. Floyd. That's right. Yes. Which was enabled and cheered on <clears throat> by every institution and left wing political parties and, and conservatives just stayed quiet because they were afraid. Mm -hmm. And 
look at anybody who saw the George Floyd video, any human person was devastated mm -hmm. by that, as was I. I am not like other people who say Derek Chauvin didn't mean it. He did mean it. Whether or not uh, Mr. Floyd died um, from fentanyl, which he may have, or from the compression, it doesn't matter. He was in the care of Derek Chauvin. And if he was mm -hmm. overdosing on fentanyl, he should have saved him. Like, whatever he did, it was wrong. Yeah. Uh, it took too long. People were saying he's dying. Get off him. He didn't. Full stop. I, I just don't think anybody can argue that. And I think that the horror of seeing that, the kind of um, confidence with which uh, Derek Chauvin stared down the camera lens of that camera held by a young black woman who I think is a great heroine and should get a journalism prize for sticking it out, um, horrified us all. So there was a reaction, and which is what started Black Lives Matter and all the kind of DEI stuff and the crazy stuff going on in human resources departments now. But we saw America in flames. We saw a lot of demos here. We saw some righteous anger. But it was clear that somehow a memo had gone out to the Black Lives Matter people and their supporters, many of whom were white, middle-class uh, college women, college young women, um, that you can do whatever you want and it's fine. And let's not forget that Kamala Harris started a bail fund for the arson, the actual arson right. people yeah. in Black Lives Matter, right? So what happens? So what happens? We see that the truckers come along and they are behaved as perfectly as you can in a circumstance like that. Mm -hmm. And all they get is picked on, trashed, lied about, mm -hmm. ignored. Trudeau, who took a knee to Black Lives Matter on Parliament Hill, couldn't mm -hmm. even be a statesman and come out and discuss with them what their, what their beefs were. I mean, that is a terrible, terrible violation of mm -hmm. our democracy, not to put too fine a point on it, but that was an awful and mm -hmm. ugly thing that he did. And Tamara told me in an interview not that long ago that at toward the end there, before they lowered the boom, if he'd come out and tried to make a deal, they likely would have made a deal that would have saved everybody's faith. Mm -hmm. They wanted to go home. Mm -hmm. They were worn out, right? But instead, he can't do that. He wants to solve it with bank account closings to signal to Klaus Schwab what a tough guy he is, you know, and, and the truncheons coming down on innocent people. And it seems that that's what people in Ottawa wanted, too. And that's what legacy media wanted. And absolutely well, none of it was justified. None of it was justified. So why do you think the legacy media went along with so many of these bizarre narratives and didn't do their job? to investigate the facts and do due diligence on what, like why, why were they so intent on carrying water for authority? When I always thought journalism was about speaking truth to power. Yeah. Well, it was, and it's supposed to be. Um, well, I, I, I think in the case of COVID, there are going to be maybe a decade go by before we get the true answer. I, I do know this. I know that when I'm looking at the quality of work and hearing what journalists, young journalists are saying, they are social justice warriors first and journalists last. There's no, especially a place like the Toronto Star, it's just a tragedy what's, mm -hmm. what's happening there. So wow. this took over J schools like in the last decade. So that's one thing. And the, 
the COVIDian response, the pr approving the mandates, the lying for public health, the pushing fear to get mm -hmm. compliance, all that stuff was left wing stuff. I mean, here on uh, Steve Pakin's show, they had a woman on from Ottawa. I'm not going to say her name, but she's a doctor who's really COVIDian. And mm -hmm. she was challenged by a public health officer here who is a much more measured person. And the first mm -hmm. thing out of her mouth on a Canadian uh, current affairs show was that he was a Trumper. In, I mean, he's Canadian. He can't, how can he be a Trumper? But the, as, a, as a way to, quote, uh, discredit him. Absolutely. Yeah. But that's wow. how COVID saw, lined up. Right. It did line up along political lines. So there was mm -hmm. that, that the newsrooms are, were all ex extremely left wing and COVIDian in the way they laid themselves out. I, I think mm -hmm. the other mm -hmm. issue um, is that there was something called the Trusted News Initiative, which they all kind of signed on to. And I believe it represented a de facto commitment to support the messaging of public health. So what that opens up is the argument about a noble lie, right? And Jay Bhattacharya is very good on this. Mm -hmm. Is it public health's role to tell a noble lie to get compliance, even if they reasonably think the lie will save lives, right? Yeah. And the answer so let's is just, no. Let's just clarify that, Trish, though. Yeah. The, the Trusted News Initiative was a kind of a, a coming together of larger legacy media yes. to say we're going to work together as a team yeah. to move the agenda forward on things that are in the quote interests of society, however that's defined. And usually that's that was carrying water for those those authorities that were asserting things that in retrospect were utterly wrong. Absolutely. Like mask wearing to well, you you name the list. I mean it's just yeah. breathtaking the yeah. things in retrospect we know as facts that were not accurate. Yeah. Absolutely. And Rodney Palmer is actually great on this stuff. Yeah. He's done a couple. Right. I think he gave evidence at the National Citizens Inquiry. So you should, yes, and everybody should look at it. And he's been on my show talking about it too. So you can look that up as well. He's terrific. Mm -hmm. But so I think that that's part of it, that they, you know, they thought maybe they were doing a good thing for mm -hmm. people, but that's just stupid because yeah. everything needs to be tested. You have to test an idea. You have to make your own conclusions. Journalism mm -hmm. has to be independent. And I think right. the, the key tell, if we can use that old kind of poker players uh, expression, was their chanting around the vaccine of safe and effective, safe and effective, safe and effective, mm -hmm. which is a meaningless mm -hmm. phrase. What do you mean it was safe? It did have side effects. We know that Pfizer admits that mm -hmm. the government is paying out money to people harmed by it. So what do you mean by safe? And we mm -hmm. know it doesn't stop transmission. So why are you, mm -hmm. what, what's it, what is it effective at doing? Yeah. Right. That kept changing. So for anybody who has like, wears a tag that says journalist on it, who's chanting a phrase that is, absolutely declarative but that they mm -hmm. cannot back up with data has no business in the news media they have no business doing that because now they are a propaganda mouthpiece for public health which for reasons i cannot explain bought into a product that very likely did more harm than good but let's just mm -hmm. say didn't do what they said it was going to do let's just say yeah. that um and they didn't do anything to get to the truth of what was happening in population. So you had these absurd, like there was, I mean, there, there was a Facebook post, as I understand it, I've not seen it, but it was told to me by a reliable person 
of CBC journalists wearing T-shirts that said they were Team Pfizer. So, like, do you remember thalidomide? Were people, journalists wearing shirts that said, I'm Team Kimi Grunenthal, the company that wow. made it? I mean, what? Not saying the vaccine yeah. is thalidomide. But when, right. when, when a vaccine or any pharmaceutical product is being, the safety is being, and efficacy is being debated, mm -hmm. why would you, as a journalist, wear a t-shirt that said such a thing? See, this is so out to lunch for me. I, I almost, it's breathtaking. Like, mm -hmm. I almost can't live with it. Yeah, no, it, it's it's really hard to, to understand. So, especially today in Canada, yeah. I'm fascinated by the Canadian scene, both in terms of its culture. Mm -hmm. And also how so many Canadians appear. And I'm not even sure what the stats are on this. I'm trying to figure this out in terms of public surveys. Yeah. Is where where do Canadians stand now, do you think, Trish, in terms of understanding how they were misled on so many issues around, say, COVID-19? I mean, we know the Twitter files have come out. Um, it's amazing how many Canadians are not aware of the Twitter files that show the receipts where you had senior officials on so many levels, particularly in the U.S. government, uh, intentionally misleading parties regarding, well, say, the origins of COVID-19. Now, we know it's from the Wuhan lab. Um, they knew that lockdowns were not efficacious, and yet they went ahead with it. I mean, there are so many issues here. It's, it's, it is truly breathtaking. So yeah. where do you think most Canadians stand now on these issues? Well, that's a really good question. Um, I think, I mean, Matthias Desmet has been, you know, some people don't agree with him now, but, but I feel. So, so, so who is Matthias again? Oh, okay. in, uh, so Matthias yeah. Desmet was an early adopter and explorer of the idea that a type of mass psychosis settled mm -hmm. on the West in countries where they had very COVIDian policies. And he wrote a great book called uh, The Psychology of Totalitarianism. It's very good. Yes, he did. He's very smart. And um, he, 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 what he posits is that people prior to COVID led kind of meaningless lives. I, I think that's true. We've pulled away from God or whatever our own spirituality mm -hmm. is. Families are broken. Lots of young people don't want to have children. Everybody's afraid they're going to die from climate change or whatever. Mm -hmm. Our communities are kind of riven by, you know, distrust and, and a, a bunch of things. So, so the people were ripe for a cause. And part of what he says happened was that the public health messaging that you're heroic if you get really COVIDian, which is like wearing mm -hmm. a mask and obeying all the rules and getting every shot that you have to get makes you a good person and gives people meaning in their lives. So I think that's probably true. But I also feel that there just was a mass psychosis. I think there just was more generally a mass psychosis. And that, mm -hmm. and I've seen it before in other cohorts of people. So on, mm. on different issues. So I think it's hard to give that up. And I'm not sure that those people who would argue with me on the street and say things like there are 2000 children in hospitals in Toronto dying of COVID right now, which was a complete lie. Mm -hmm. I mean, it just didn't happen. Um, I think those people don't maybe want to give that up. They'll feel too foolish perhaps or something. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so I don't, it's kind of like weapons of mass destruction on steroids, right? Like those of us who knew they were lying before the war started, 
in, in well, Iraq. In Iraq. Well, you know, we're waiting for the big mm -hmm. reckoning. And what we got were two paragraphs, one in the New York Times, who Judith yeah. Miller pushed it like mad curveball, ridiculous, and the Washington mm -hmm. Post. Um, and so when it was proven that there were no weapons of mass destruction, which were, as they say, the causes belli for going into Iraq in the first place, um, the people who believed it and pushed it didn't go, oh, well, boy, I was really, they, they just, they, everybody just moved on. And, and, and my fear is that there is a lot of just moving on going on or people saying, well, everybody was scared and we didn't know. Well, we did know. I'm a nobody. And I knew in March of 2020, I wrote a substack in March of 2020 that said the IFR is wrong and the risk ratio is wrong and we're going to this mm -hmm. lockdown. So I, mm -hmm. I'm just, I, I used to do be a science reporter 20 years ago. So mm -hmm. if I'm figuring that out, how come Teresa Tam can't figure that out? Right. Mm -hmm. So, so that's also false that we just didn't know. We did know. And um, mm -hmm. they did it anyway. So I, I don't think there's going to be a big reckoning. I think what may happen like what is starting to happen in the transgender stuff is that lawsuits may, may pave the way, right? So <laughs> medical malpractice may end a lot of the transgender stuff because insurance companies are going to say, we're not going to insure doctors who do this. The way, exactly. Right? And yeah. the way that maybe uh, about the excess deaths perhaps caused by vaccines or lockdown mm -hmm. harms, Insurance, I know because um, Ed, I've forgotten his last name, but he he told me in an interview, he's a guy who studies numbers, that there are these excess deaths everywhere, North America, Canada, UK, mm -hmm. that insurance companies on Wall Street were starting to say, wow, if these were caused by the vaccines, we don't want to insure mm -hmm. companies that are mandated That's vaccines, right? right? So, yeah. so sometimes it's the almighty dollar can cause problems, but it can also rectify them through the civil courts, right? Where the courts mm -hmm. are starting to say, yeah, okay, well, that caused it, so you can't get insurance, and then they just stop doing it. So that may mm -hmm. happen, but I don't, I, I, here's what I think. This is maybe not people want to hear. I think the bad thing that was supposed to happen to us has already happened. And it wasn't just COVID. It was about corrupting the media, corrupting our institutions, a huge yeah. transfer of wealth to people like James or, or like um, Jeff Bezos, um, making us mistrust each other. I think all of that stuff has already happened. And, and the key to it, I think, David, is this. This has proven, and I hope people really understand what I'm about to say, what we want from our elected officials and the people we vote for has nothing to do with what they're actually doing. They don't care what we think. It doesn't matter what, they th what we think about things. They have their own agenda now, and they're not working for us. That is what I truly believe. And that's why most Republicans and most conservatives even in Canada are not representing what I think are the big issues today at all. They're all, it sounds paranoid, they're all kind of in on it, in on the globalist agenda, right? They think that's what, what's going to get them elected. Interesting. But I, I think they don't care. Nigel Farage said this the other day around his bank account uh, closing, that they, that they, they don't 
care about what we want. They think that we're racist morons who, who need to be controlled through our, our money and, and that passports and that sort of thing. I think that's what they think. And until we figure it out and start saying to people, this is what we want on the agenda. And if the media doesn't cover it, then screw the media. We're going to go directly to the candidates and demand these things, right? Like no more vaccine mandates, no vaccine passports, you know, no digital currency, none of that stuff. Um, they're just going to keep on going. Wow. So you're really challenging us with a very different perspective that we don't hear very often. That is that there's a group of people who are working really hard to set up their power, their control over really all aspects of our lives. And they don't really believe in democracy anymore. They've left behind those institutions because it is all about control. Yeah. And so how do, what do we do with this situation? How do we turn it around, Trish? Well, I feel that local, that community is going to, we're going to have to go back to that. We're going to have to start mm. understanding each other and knowing each other in our communities. But I, this is going to sound really stupid and naive, but I, I've been thinking a lot about it, especially since Nigel Farage's problem with the banks in the UK, who just for people who don't know. Mm. Coots, so what, what happened to Nigel? So Coots Bank, which is the royal bank, it's the big bank, that the one for all the super rich people. Uh, I guess Nigel is one. Um, and Nigel was the Brexit campaigner who everybody said was a terrible racist, as they said to uh, about all the Brexit mm -hmm. people. Um, his bank account that he'd had with Coots for years was closed. And uh, he got a note saying, we're closing your account. No reason why. He fought it like mad, like an absolute hero. Went public with it immediately as a show on GB News and made a big stink about it. And, and, and eventually got they they made a statement that oh he didn't have enough money in his account you have to have a million dollars ba balance mm -hmm. or something which turned out to be bs he got the document that they used to make the decision which apparently you're entitled to get it's 40 pages long and it was like a 16 year old social justice warriors ad hominem attack on Nigel, right? He was mm -hmm. Brexit, so therefore he's racist. Yeah, he liked it. Totally it. outrageous. Oh, yeah. it was just, it was infantile. It was like, I thought, is that the best you got? And not only that, who have you got working at Coots? Who are these people? Like, they're so childish, right? It was all mm -hmm. politics. All, and, and what they were using for evidence against him were, Man were I was going to say Manchester Guardian, that's how old I am, but Guardian newspaper articles that were of course were criticizing him mm -hmm. because he's right of center and, and was a brexit guy that so mm -hmm. articles about you and that they don't even know if they were correct or not it was enough to get his bank uh, account frozen or canceled so what he learned in speaking up was thousands of people are getting their bank accounts frozen over there and the way that he or closed the way that he's dealing with it is he's putting up a big website right? So all the people who've lost their accounts are now able to kind of come together in this conglomerate and they mm -hmm. have power. And Rishi Sunak, the prime minister, and all the kind of big conservatives who were letting this stuff go are now on the hot seat. And uh, a couple people have resigned. Coot, uh, Coots, C CEO, I believe, and the Nat mm -hmm. West had this That's woman, right. yeah, Dame, somebody around making five million mm -hmm. pounds a year to be that dumb. I mean, 
Where do they find them? I don't know. Up in the cotton but walls, that, I guess. But doesn't that story give you a sliver of hope? Totally. Along with so many examples yeah. where people are realizing, wow, our trust in different institutions, including maybe my bank or my credit union, I need to do due diligence on them. And I need to understand what they're really doing with my money. Like another movement is the so-called ESG movement, the environmental social governance movement, which is really a clever way that uh, you have, again, the social justice movement packaging your money and using it to their cause. I know. Are they serving you? Probably not. If they have low performance uh, uh, you know, results through that index. How does that help you in your retirement when you have to turn to your pension? And I think the stunning examples in Canada with the um, the Canadian pension plan, where they have chosen Russian oil and gas over Canadian oil and gas. I mean, this is the definition of insanity. So when we look at this, though, there is a, a tidal wave happening. And I think that the, the example of, um, well, what's it called again? Oh, yeah, Bud Light, uh, where now you have layoffs at uh, Anheuser-Busch and you have a really a brand, Bud Light now, yeah. which I think is so hobbled. I'm, I'm not sure if it's going to be able to recover. 37 billion, 37 billion, right? And here's the thing about that too, David, that's disheartening. Like we all know that Larry Fink from BlackRock is behind pushing a lot. And he's even said, so he said he does it. So he makes the CEOs obedient. I mean, what a disgusting human being to say that. Yeah. Really? Why do we tolerate right. this stuff? It's yeah. crazy. And so, so Larry Fink, to be clear here, is the CEO of BlackRock yeah. who manages, I don't know, uh, is it eight or $9 trillion yeah. really pushing hard this type of ESG agenda. It's, yeah. it's really quite, disconcerting. So he's saying to companies like, I don't know if he's got money in Anheuser-Busch, but he can pick up the phone and say, you know, you, you guys are not doing enough to to help our brothers and sisters in the trans movement. So you better figure it out or we're going to pull our money out or whatever they do. And so these, this poor, I, I'm not sure that that actually happened because the woman that, who did that ridiculous, absurd Dylan Mulvaney campaign, which was against their actual drinkers of Bud Light. Oh, they're too frat. They're frat boys. Gee, so you hate your own customers? Is that right? So she seemed to just organically be stupid as opposed to being in, influenced by, by Larry Fink. But maybe for the CEO to give the go-ahead, he had to be influenced, right? But but it was like, uh, I think it's $37 billion. But what's important about those people too is they some of them actually believe this stuff. So they're on a mission, Right. And understand people on this weird mission that is not fact based. This I keep saying postmodern and postmodern mm -hmm. is what's mm -hmm. happening in uni right now. There's no such thing as like a provable fact. Everything is just like what you mm -hmm. think it is or what you feel it is, which is why everybody's so crazy when they come out of university right now. Um, so you've got all these people in those important positions. And, and so that's extremely, extremely dangerous. And we have to get to a point where thinking that way um, is not rewarded, right? You can't, mm -hmm. we can't be hiring those people if they think that way. That's not, companies shouldn't be hiring people who are so divorced from your reality. And mm -hmm. what I was going to say about pushback and what we can learn from Nigel Farage is not just going public, but we need websites where all the companies who are doing this stuff can be listed and people mm -hmm. can go there and say, okay, I'm not buying 
Bud Light or I'm not buying. I know Maybelline had a guy with a beard selling mascara. I have to tell you, I nearly died because I've been wearing Maybelline mascara since I was 15 years old. I'm probably their most wow. loyal customer. Yeah. I don't know. How much money have you given to them? <laughs> thousands and thousands and thousands. And I, I won't use it now. I don't want to see a guy in eye makeup and a beard pushing mm -hmm. mascara. So, mm -hmm. so we could have web easily searchable websites. So what that does is it empowers people at a time when they are disempowered, right? You can mm -hmm. go there and say for your little dollars, even if it's mm -hmm. only a $15 mascara or one of their little $12 eye palettes or something like that, you're not buying Maybelline until they stop acting ridiculous, right? So those are, and that's what he's doing. That gives us power. It's such a simple thing. And I wish a billionaire would call me and say, Trish, how do we do this? Because we need somebody who's on our side with enormous money who can figure out how to make this a big, scary thing. So the companies become afraid of us. Because look at the power. Jason Aldean's great song, what is it? Try that in a small town. Everybody was mad at him because he was saying, I'm going to defend the place I live, which is now a bad idea. The pushback on that was massive, right? Isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he just, the CMT just looks ridiculous. I mean. So there's some reasons to be hopeful as people start to figure out what's really going on. And I think that, you know, maybe part of the perspective is when you think of people who are woke and, and I know that we, you know, I, I had quite a discussion as, as you have with others about what is wokeism. Yeah. But if I just summarize it, I would say, well, it's political correctness on steroids, but it's yeah. very totalitarian. It's totally. not about tolerance. It's about intolerance. Yeah. And, um, it, you know, it's, it's really pushing that cultural Marxist perspective and forcing it upon others, which is really... Not at all the Canadian way, is it, uh, Trish, when you when you look at where we're at? Well, it is cruelty. And I, I wrote about my, my last podcast was about this teacher in Toronto who committed suicide after these um, anti-racist trainings. And I'm going to be a little bit careful here in how I talk about it, but because um, there are lawsuits and things afoot, as there should be. But the, I, I've seen transcripts of what happened i know what happened i've seen the transcripts. okay so you've seen the transcripts mm -hmm. wow well it's because they appear in the filings right there's a legal filing mm -hmm. right in which transcripts that were the things that were upsetting for mr biltso right are are there so mm -hmm. i'm just I, I think i can make as a journalist an assumption that if a high profile lawyer includes these transcripts from these zoom meetings which were taped that they're probably legitimate i'm not, i'm going to say that mm -hmm. and then the other piece of evidence is that this it's used to be called the workman's compensation board but this government body in ontario where mr yep. biltso uh, filed a claim for money after he was um waylaid from working by anxiety after this event they did their own investigation and said yes this happened yes we interviewed people on those calls yes we're diagnosing him with trauma and anxiety and we're going to honor the claim right so and they said why that he'd been accused of white supremacy there's some dispute about the language i know the language and it does accuse him of that there's no mm -hmm. question about it um so 
where, where am I going with this? It, it, it's an interesting case because this Jant, who he was a gay man, he'd been a, a high school principal for most of his life. He was, after a kind of a brief retirement, he was ascending again and loving it, and he kept getting promoted. He was so terrific. And um, he went to a training that was uh, he brought in by the T Toronto District School Board of this company that they, these so-called anti-racist trainers. And he, he, she said something about how Canada is a more racist country than America. And he said, from what I can tell and what I've seen politely, I, I was a teacher at an inner city school in Buffalo and I don't believe you're correct. And she, it looks like from the transcript, she targeted him after that. He was accused of things. He was accused of being a resistor to fixing racism. He was accused of supporting white supremacy, all kinds of terrible things in front of 200 colleagues, none of whom spoke up on his behalf when it was happening, by the way. You wonder how these things happen in history. People keep their mouth shut because they're too afraid, and that's wrong. So that kind of went on. Um, he began to lose his career, and and very recently, a few days, a few weeks ago, uh, he <laughs> killed himself. And I know how he killed himself. I'm not going to say it, but he killed himself in such a way that it left no doubt he wanted to die. There was no way back after yeah. that. So, so what has happened here? Um, Jonathan Kay has done some terrific reporting on it. Um, I and so has the uh, National Post. I did a full show on it um, with an interview with a guy who knew Richard Biltstow, um and read the files and the 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 court filings and this WSIB report, which I have as well, and watched what happened on Twitter from the ideologically driven anti-racist crowd, including the Toronto Star, who has a racism and social justice columnist. That's a beat now, right? So her headline was uh, something like, I don't have it handy, but I, I'm close here. Something like teachers suicide not caused by anti-racist training or not linked to anti-racist training, hmm. which if you've she's claiming she's seen the videos, she probably has not disputing that, but she was kind of nitpicking her way through it. But here's the other thing that happened that, and this is the nub for me. I didn't hear or see anybody on that side saying, wow, this is a tragedy. What can we do better? What mistakes were making, mm -hmm. made here? Mm -hmm. Do we need, given how intense these trainings are, maybe to have psychiatrists doing them or psychologists on staff. What was this mm -hmm. woman's claim to fame? Aside from being an anti-racist trainer, I couldn't find out what her credentials were. All she's done, in, according to your website, is this, well, how did she become an expert? Because you're, ki you're, you're kind of mucking about in things that are these kind of awful racist tautologies where if you're white, you can't make any criticism at all without being mm -hmm. accused of resisting or being white and fragile or one of these sort of terrible things, right? So you, and people were even saying that he committed suicide because he'd been um, corrected or some word like that by a black woman. There's no evidence for that, right? That's just a made up mm -hmm. thing. So the cruelty on the other side you know, stuff's going to happen, right? 
I'm sure she meant well, the trainer, let's just give her that. But if you are doing something that intense and a person connected to that for whatever reason, either directly or indirectly, it affects their life in such a way that they kill themselves. Mm. The people in that business should be checking themselves pretty seriously and kindly and humanely responding with grace and humility to what has happened here. And that is not what I'm seeing. Mr. Biltstow was attacked, not by her, but by others, even in death. Imagine. I've just think about that. Yeah, so that's horrible. Under, that's the underpinning of all this stuff of vaccine mandates. Yeah. I had a, a widow of a guy who died. He couldn't get a transplant because of vaccine yeah. mandates. Like this stuff is cruel. It's inhumane. It's killing people. Why are we accepting it and holding it up as the be kind movement? It's absurd. Yeah, it's just the opposite. I I think, Trish, that's a, a, a very powerful insight again in terms of challenging us to think about how are they manipulating Canadians' sense of compassion in this type of situation? It's just, it's, it's, it's utterly unacceptable. And Canadians need to speak up and call this out. I want to just respond to something that we were talking about a minute ago, too, when I say everything's captured and, and I'm not optimistic about it. I, I'm actually mm-hmm. not. I'm, I'm optimistic about the human heart. Um, but I'm also not a conspiracy theorist, right? I, I do mm-hmm. feel when I say that politicians don't care about what we want, I think like the noble lie of lockdowns and the noble lie of vaccines, if in fact that's what it was, that there is a feeling now amongst world leaders, especially in the West, in the West particularly, um, that climate change and other things mean that we as citizens no longer know what's in our best interest and that they do. I just want to clarify that. Like I'm not some wingnut who thinks there's a million bouts, right? (laughs) Even though I would perfectly accept if there was given how crazy things are right now mm-hmm. but but we we are now being governed not by politicians but by a managerial class by the expert mm-hmm. class and right. they eschew and hold in low esteem everybody who is not part of what they're doing that's why they hated the truckers mm-hmm. that's why they hated people who challenged them that's why they you know the term anti-vaxxer was coined like my, I, I i have a million vaccines as does my dog and so my children I didn't get the COVID vaccine, not because I'm anti-vax. I didn't get the COVID vaccine because it wasn't tested and I had a very low risk profile and it didn't make sense for me, which mm-hmm. is a perfectly normal, critically thinking response to a vaccine rushed to market by a company mm-hmm. that had the largest criminal penalty in pharmaceutical history only 10 years ago. That's right. But but I'm not allowed to hold that thought because the, 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 the bureaucrats and the PhDs and the MDs know better. Mm-hmm. So I must be maligned in order to shut me up, right? There's that right. famous Toronto Star front page, which is as bad as anything I saw coming out before a lot of bad events happened in Europe, and you know the ones I'm talking about, um, where anti it was all hate speech against people who hadn't taken the vaccine. It was a whole page of the Toronto Star. I mean, it was like it's 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 held up around the world as a national shame mm-hmm. for us, right? So yeah. 
what I'm tying together is we're governed by a managerial class and politicians who think they know better that they're going to save the world from whatever the current existential crisis is, whether it's COVID or climate change or poverty or whatever. And, and the rest of us are too selfish and stupid uh, to actually affect policy. And nowhere is that greater than what we're seeing on immigration right now, where mm-hmm. we live in this world of, like, I, I just want to know how many is the, is the amount how many so-called migrants do we have to take? I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I've always been pro-immigration. I think we right. help people out. But at what point do we say we have to look after our own people? Like, mm-hmm. And why can't I know that number? And why isn't anybody talking about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say, Trish, that um, like I, I obviously work with the, the Frontier Center for Public Policy. Yeah where the emphasis is on looking at the evidence, looking at the options, looking at um, these types of options through, I think, timeless points of, of principles that are wise. Like for instance, if we make a, a decision around policy, it should be empowering the individual to empower them to make more choices about their life. Yeah. But I think the, 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 the paradox here is that there, it's, it's very confusing, I think, in the public realm where a lot of pronouncements are made in the name of policy, when in fact, it's not about policy. It's about leading with communications and what appears to be the righteous thing to do yeah. in a way that meets the needs of, of short-term political considerations. That mandate about um, independent truckers to this day has not a shred of health evidence that justified that decision, when in fact, it looked more like to us that it was more of a cynical political play to vilify a certain group of people um, among Canadians in, in, in order to kind of maintain this narrative that there's a massive crisis. And in this fear, we have some heroic politicians that are saving the day. Yeah. Now, I, I, I trust that I'm wrong, but I don't, I don't think the evidence points in any other direction. Yeah, I think you're completely right. And it kind of goes back to what I said you know, I grew up with an older sister and um, I was being bullied once and all I wanted was for her friends, male friends who were four years older than me to just kind of show up and scare the bully. I wanted those boys to ride to my defense, right? I was scared mm-hmm. and yeah. I felt proud that that could happen. And that's kind of how I felt about the truckers too, that they mm-hmm. they show that kind of spirit of taking care of us. And mm-hmm. I mean, remember how cold it was. I mean, that whole thing, I, I almost can't even believe it really happened. It was so good. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything about it was good freezing cold, wonderful people. Crime apparently went down in Ottawa while they were there. It's just like, you know, everybody kept their garbage was cleaned up. Yeah. And everybody kept their cool. Most people Mm -hmm. did. I mean, I know a couple of people had arguments and that Mm -hmm. sort of thing, but, but it really was absolutely a miracle. And Mm -hmm. I will not, it's one of the, I focus a lot on the convoy in the work I do, I, you know, I interview Tamara and Chris a lot. I write about them on my Substack. Mm-hmm. I have a, t- mm-hmm. a radio show on TNT, TNT, which is a global platform where I talk about them a lot. Because for me, the truckers are maybe the proudest thing this country has done in mm-hmm. like a decade, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's it's an amazing story. And I, I do want to talk more about the state of Canada um, as we kind of 
get to the home stretch here. And, and it kind of relates to the question around the state of Canadian culture. And, and to me, it's kind of a, a fascinating question because I was um, just interviewed by a British um, film crew uh, that was doing a documentary about the decline of Canada. And wow. as I thought more, it was really quite a discussion. Oh, I um, want to talk because... to them when the film comes out. That's amazing. <laughs> exactly. Well, wow. what, what's fascinating is that you could look at it from many different angles, both yeah. the economic, um, you know, there's so many measures of productivity, but it's also, um, I think, reflected in culture in the sense that, um, and I, I know this sounds terribly anecdotal, but Canadian culture, there's a lot of very nice Canadians. Um, yeah. We're not perfect by far, yeah. but we're almost um, obsessed with being nice. I mean, who is it that steps into an elevator and if someone bumps into you, you're inclined to say, oh, sorry. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is so, it's almost comical. Yeah. But in that context, are we as a culture more susceptible to this wokeism? Because wokeism really slanders you and says, well, you're, if you don't agree with this, you're a racist, uh, you're a white supremacist. Yeah. And that, that is almost one of the most hurtful things that you can, you can call a Canadian. So are we more susceptible to this absurd um, cries of, of uh, wokeism than any other culture? What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's funny because I get asked that a lot too by foreign guests on the podcast. And, and mm -hmm. I, that was exposed to me during COVID. Um, I thought, wow. Why are we so obedient? Was I misconstruing Canadian politeness? Mm -hmm. Really, was it actually obedience, which is really, really scary? Um, and, and I think I think that's partly it. I, I think it partly it, maybe we are obedient. But to bring it back to our news media, I, I cannot say this strongly enough. And maybe it's because it's in my DNA as a journalist, but. Part of what's wrong with this country is, is the media. I mean, we, we're being fed a load of BS daily yeah. by the CBC, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's, an ind, it's an organization that hates this country and, wow. and subscribes to ideology, right? I mean, I remember listening to, uh, I think it was Megan Murphy. She'd come here. She's Canadian. She was doing a, an event at the library. Mm -hmm. Uh, with feminists who were against this heavy-duty trans ideology coming in. And she did an interview, I won't say with whom, but somebody I used to know and respect a lot. Um, and the interview of Megan, oh, oh, no, maybe it wasn't Megan. No, I think it was with the, the actual library, sorry. And, um, and, and she was beaten up and hit with this, you know, if trans people can't transition, they kill themselves, which is a completely bogus talking point. And I thought, why is the CBC carrying water for this idea that has no scientific merit? Mm -hmm. That was like 12 yeah. years ago. So, so they do, the CBC does, they hated the truckers without any reason to do so. They hated people who didn't get the vaccine. They hate anybody who says maybe we shouldn't be transitioning, you know, wow. 10 year olds. They, they hate them. There's a, there's an assumed character defect that we can trace all the way back to Hillary Clinton's, basket of deplorable, deplorable, mm. you know, uh, remarks okay. that set the tone for what to do with the populists who weren't buying into the kind of 
BS of the left, right? So, well, so I, I feel that Canadians, maybe they weren't, well, here's, here's where I'm going to contradict myself. The truckers showed me that Canadians are what I thought they are, but, mm-hmm. but the media and the people who bought into the COVIDian lie and all of the other BS tell me that they aren't. And I have wondered aloud if we will split up into two solitudes. It used to be the French and the English. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's going to be the awake and the people who want to just obey um, like I, was that Banksy who did the obey? I don't know, but you know, obey, right. Um, you know, who just want to obey government bureaucrats who dispense with edicts about how we live our lives in our stupid 15 minute cities. And as they take our car keys away, like I, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing right. that. Absolutely not. Well, what I like what you're doing is you're, you're again saying, who are these elites, the so-called good and the great yeah. who can, in a very presumptuous way, assume that they're going to direct everybody's lives as so-called experts. But when in fact, it's not expertise, it's really more of an ideology that they've learned at, of course, the bowels of the universities or the journalism schools. And this, they feel totally empowered to be able to tell everyone else how to live their lives. And they're failing, right? Lockdowns failed, vaccines failed. DEI mm-hmm. is failing. Trans ideology is failing. Um, race training is failing. It's everything. It's all mm-hmm. failing. Every, everything they're doing is failing, right? None of it makes the right. country better. And, right. and more to the point, none of it achieves the goal. Although I'm not sure with the anti-racist training what the goal even is. Because one of the things she said in these transcripts of the Real, Richard Biltso case mm-hmm. is that they're, they're also anti-capitalist right? As Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter was too, an right. anti-homogeneous family. Like what? So now mm-hmm. we're bringing that into the schools to talk to people. What are we doing? Like what is their, exactly. they're failing yeah. in everything, everything. Okay. But, yeah. but the punchline here though, Trish, is yeah. that we have to understand that. Um, and, and you have to look at the specifics, but generally this is a cultural Marxism, which is all about going after the rights of individuals in terms of their historic rights and freedoms, that wonderful, a legacy that we've we've inherited, mm-hmm. but also going after the family and civic society, all those kinds of institutions have been taken over uh, by these groups. And I think what it, it 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 it's a challenge to us to wake up to this reality and speak up because there's far more of us than there are of these so-called elites. Yes. And I think that's where a lot of hope is. And I think um, that we should be optimistic, but we've got to really work at this. Otherwise, I mean, I think we're going to have a very different candidate in a matter of years. We, we already are seeing that. Well, I, I, this is what I think everybody should be watching because it may be in our future. And that is this. We have now unfolding in Washington, D.C., evidence of the most corrupt president ever to occupy the Oval Office. The case is a slam dunk. Devin Archer, yep, he was involved in our business. On the phone, Tony Bobolinsky, yep, involved in the Chinese stuff. The the laptop, the idea of, of Hunter saying, yeah, I'm doing these business deals and giving half of my money to my family. I mean, what do they need? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure right. even if Biden, President Biden confessed to it right now, they would say, oh, he didn't mean it because he's demented, which he is, right? Mm-hmm. So we are watching in real time 
the banana republicanization of our closest trading partner, um, mm -hmm. geopolitical advisor, uh, leader of the G7, whatever, like that's, and, and, and it's, it's blatant, right? It's, yeah, it's what very, very Devin, disconcerting. De Devin yeah. Archer testifies and then they hit Trump with more stuff the next day. I mean, it's so obvious. And the reason, mm -hmm. bring it back to the media, the reason they're getting away with it is because the media's make, they're already making excuses for, for Joe Biden. Like it's, it, oh, he was only doing it because he's yeah. such a great father. Are you kidding me? I mean, right. So this is where we are going to go if we don't watch him. The media role here, yeah. the media role is critical mm -hmm. to coin your phrase, which would is critical. Yes. So how, what can I as a Canadian citizen, what can we do to move and, and, um, how do you say, renew the media in Canada? And I want to give you a quick example before you answer that question. And it relates to the truckers, because there was a group at Bridge City News in Lethbridge who sent a crew to cover that convoy in Ottawa. And it was, it was stunning what happened, because when they covered that convoy, we could compare the coverage, what they were doing on the ground every day, day in and day out, to the legacy news. And the difference was just night and day. And they would go after the good, bad, and the ugly of the stories. And it, I, I was just so proud of what they were doing. And their numbers skyrocketed. Yeah. So I think there's a wave of media that's increasing, the independent media, including podcasts such as Trish Wood is Critical, this program, among others, the numbers are skyrocketing. So does that not show you part of the pathway to the renewal to media, which we need in this country to have a high functioning, healthy democracy? Yeah, I, I think it does. But and I, I love the story about Bridge City News. I actually didn't know about them. If I did know, I would have had them on my show. Um, and I still may actually I love I love those little stories. But here, here is the deal. As long as the two solitudes remain siloed in their media consumption, mm -hmm. we will be feeding our own our own confirmation biases. Ah, uh, yes. Right. So the people on the other side actually really believe the stuff because that's what CBC is telling them is true. And the people on our side believe the stuff because I'm saying it or True North is saying it or, you know, whatever is saying it. And we have to get to a point where those twains are going to meet again, where there is a, I believe deeply in this, where there is a platform in which all of these things are credible for people on both sides. You see, the, our, the division of us informationally, I think, was extremely deliberate. I'm proud of the role I've played as a, you know, as a foil to the other side. But mm -hmm. I feel that my views are actually really mainstream. Like what I think now is what I yeah. thought 20 years ago as a slightly left of center left mm -hmm. when liberalism actually meant something. Right. So I, I, I cheer for people like Matt Taibbi and, and Michael Schellenberger and these guys doing amazing, ama you know, and Barry Weiss and all these people doing amazing work. But they have their own siloed people. And I have my own siloed people. And for instance, if I have on um, 
the guy who, who operate, um, Blumenthal is his last name, uh, who runs the gray zone website, which is a really good foreign policy website. They're terrific on stuff, but he's very, very anti-Israel because he's been to the West Bank, as have I, like the Palestinians are treated really badly, right? But that is not a conservative view. Conservatives tend to be pretty pro-Israel, you see? So I will have him on my show on Ukraine, where he's absolutely brilliant, and then something will happen and he'll let slip something about Israel, and I'll hear about it, right, from people. So, But, but we can't live in our views that they're like, okay, I, I think Ukraine's a disaster. I think the war needs to end right now. I'm anti-vaccine the way it was presented. I think, you know, mm-hmm. it's a failure. Um, obviously, I'm very concerned about trans ideology, especially in the schools and the way they've captured all those mm-hmm. things. So we all hold those views. Um, and we shouldn't. Like, there sh- I, I think we hold those views because we're critically thinking. But... But we should be able to disagree on other stuff without it impugning credibility. Like, I'm not just going to have people on my show who agree with me on everything. Mm-hmm. I, I refuse mm-hmm. to do that. But I, al- okay. I also curate based on how smart they are and, and mm-hmm. why the view that they hold that I might disagree with may have actual merit, right? Yeah. So to answer your question, we're not going to fix the media by having two silos. Mm-hmm. We've got to find a way to agree on reality, <laughs> right? On what's good and what's bad morally and what is actually real. Okay, so let's get back to the facts and let's realize that just because we may disagree doesn't mean that we um, can call each other bad names, right. the so-called ad hominem attack. Yeah. But on the other hand, I'd say the other complicating factor is that you have some that have adopted an ideology which is frankly anti-democratic they're not about working in a tolerant way absolutely um they're about kind of ripping down our society so what do you do with them what do we do with them i hear stories of people being deprogrammed I mean, they actually use that word. I've seen in my own family people near and dear to me who were super woke, who are now releasing that in the face of overwhelming evidence. I think these things are going to eventually blow themselves up because people, good people are seeing gay pride has turned into now a celebration of bizarre fetishes of people wearing dog costumes and, and doing BDSM. And for, I mean, We can't, we just have to agree that if you want to do that, what did, what did uh, Pierre Trudeau say? The state has no place in the bedrooms of the nation. Mm-hmm. And I say the bedrooms of the nation have no place on our streets, right? I think we can all agree to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think these extremes, if we're lucky, will burn themselves out through litigation, through people mm-hmm. saying, wow, this is kind of an emperor's new clothes thing. That guy with the beard and the blonde wig really isn't a woman, is he? Yeah, no, I, <laughs> right. And I don't really want my daughter in a bathroom, mm-hmm. sharing a bathroom with him. I think they will burn themselves out. And I hope it's sooner rather than later. And that the cost for it is not a million more broken hearts or, or stolen lives, right? Or mutilated children. Well, Trish Wood, the host of Trish Wood is 
critical. I'm so glad that you could join us and we could have this conversation today. Me too. And I want you to come on my show. I'd be honored. Okay, great. Nice to see you, David. Thank you for watching Leaders on the Frontier. We're a nonpartisan think tank. We explore ideas, policy, and practical solutions that can make a difference in the lives of Canadians. We do not accept any government funding. We work for you. Thank you for supporting Frontier. Visit fcpp.org to give. While you're there, be sure to check out our latest articles and research. Without open discussion and debate, you're not thinking, nor are you free. Comment below. We'd love for you to join the conversation.